Welcome back to Baskets Brawl, where I'll talk about basketball, life, and everything in between. On today's episode, I'm joined by two guests. The first one, Justin, comes on to talk about the NBA and free agency now that it's in the rear view. And then we have a nice, fun conversation about television and his favorite shows on right now, his favorite shows of the year so far, his least favorite shows, um, and just TV in general. And after Justin, I have my brother joining me on the podcast as we deep dive into movie sequels, our favorite movie sequels, least favorite movie sequels, uh, whether they're beneficial or not, and just a discussion on the idea behind sequels. Uh, It's a fun conversation. It was recorded at around 2 a.m., so cut us a little break and bear with us, but um, fun conversation if you can get through it. So without further ado, uh, here's Justin about the NBA and TV. And welcome to Basket Sprawl. Clint Capella signed with the Rockets five years, 90 mil. And I just kind of see the Clint Capella signing as a uh, kind of a gentle goodnight to the craziness of June, July in the NBA world. Uh, so I think it's a good time uh, with everything in the rear view now to kind of go over this past month or so uh, and just kind of express how we felt about it as uh avid NBA fans. So for me, I'll just say my highlight, I think to encapsulate this whole summer and why I'm already in the, uh, you know, in the corner of this was by far the most uh, crazy off season of all time. And the reason I say that is because LeBron James moved teams and in, in the past that's reshaped whole the whole landscape of the NBA and it probably did to an extent now but just the fact that Boogie got signed by the Warriors 18 hours later and immediately it just kind of felt whatever especially when Kawhi didn't go to the Lakers that LeBron you know it's been said the narrative is we're kind of moving past the LeBron era even though we're in the thick of it and no one's saying he's not the best in the league right now we're kind of understanding that the league is so much talent that it doesn't need LeBron like it once did and I thought that became like almost tangible this off season. Um, so yeah, I, you know, what do you think of that? I guess. Um, I, I think we moved on just because LeBron going to Lakers was like a rumored thing going into the, going into the off season. It wasn't shocking because Bill Simmons had reported it and people were pretty much under the impression that he was going to end up on the Lakers. So, um, it was more shocking that Boogie went to the Warriors in, in a vacuum because it wasn't really being discussed that that was a, de- a destination. That's what I think. Right, right. And then, but, so, in addition to that, we have the whole Kawhi drama. We finally have something to grab onto after just what felt like an eternity of just being completely in the dark with one of, you know, I'd say pretty inarguably one healthy top five NBA player in the last five years. I mean, he's, uh, you know, once in a generation type talent. And to have uh, a superstar in today's NBA where everything is so public and, you know, KD and CJ McCollum are like beefing in front of the world. You just have months of being held in the dark, and I just can't help but sympathize with the San Antonio fans and, and empathize with them. I feel feel really bad about uh, about how Kawhi is choosing to go about transitioning, and I respect him for it. But I know you have a bit of a firmer, uh, more principled take on Kawhi that you know is pretty unshakable for you. So why don't you? Get into that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I'm really out on Kawhi right now because all this time we've been wondering what his injury was. And instead of coming out and having a press conference and 
you know, at least like taking ownership for like, hey, like, you know, this first I was okay, but like, I really don't feel all right. He just let people, writers, his camp, the team, make a narrative for him. And I think if you're a superstar in this league and you're going to be a man and, 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 and stand up for yourself, I think you got to come out and say, say what's going on with you. And we still don't know what's going on with him. It sounds like he, he I mean, he, he passed the physical for the Raptors, so it sounds like he's actually going to be in shape. But all this time, people, there have been these rumors about, you know, Actually, we didn't even realize that like Kawhi actually was anti Spurs until like it was he was rumored. gone. Yeah, he but was like, just, it, until he was gone. Yeah, like, it was just like kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and yeah, I just I just really don't respect him right now because he had an opportunity to like come out and say what was going on with him, what was going on with the organization, even where he wanted to go. Like it was rumored that he was going to go to the Lakers. Like you know, right? I think uh, last night we were talking a little. Even ju- even if he had just come out and said something like. I'm scared to say something because if, you know, I might be worried about my leg for real and I don't want to mess the money up. But even coming out and saying that would get you so many more points uh, than, than the route he took. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I, I don't know that I'm in the minority in thinking that, like, I just don't really have a lot of respect for him because there's a franchise that he won a championship with that he was seen as the franchise player for. And even if they misdiagnosed him, he didn't, like, come out and, like, say that it was just all through other people but or anything i mean to the best of my knowledge has Kawhi come out and given any like love to san antonio at all like acknowledge it and i mean when ennis Cantor switches teams there's a whole memoriam like on his instagram page or just something where it's like thank you oklahoma city or wherever for yeah i I didn't think about that it's just strange yeah so even if he like presents the the organization the fans yeah you're right the fans like deserve something from him and it's kind of I mean, he's a private guy. I guess that's like what you can fall back on. But like, the thing there's about, a lot of riding on him. I feel every piece I'd read about Kawhi before this uh, circus of Kawhi started. I mean, he just seemed like a blue collar guy who really fit into the Spurs ideology and 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 core belief. And even if, I mean, not even if. Of course, I don't know the guy. I don't know how he feels at all. And it's kind of dumb to speculate. Um, but as a Bulls fan, if, if Kawhi was on my team and we'd been through just the ringer together, like I would, even if I hate you for, for sitting out the whole season, I'd expect some sort of like, Hey, Chicago, like I love you. It's just strange. I, I'm not in the camp of, I just want to see what happens. I mean, what happens if like, uh, two weeks from now he comes out and says, Spurs I like and gives a whole thing. Is this all of a sudden absolved? Or I <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in two weeks if he just comes out and says all the stuff we want, now are we back in Kawhi's corner? Or is this a lasting thing maybe on his legacy when we think of Kawhi that like he's just you know, we talk about how the NBA is so disloyal to the players, which it is, but we rarely see a, a player disloyal to the fans. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a very strange place to be in 2018 landscape of the NBA with one of our biggest superstars. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think he could say anything to really absolve himself of the situation. I, I think an interesting case to look at would be like Kyrie Irving. I thought at the time it was really silly and mm-hmm. a, a dumb perspective to want to leave LeBron and go to another team, but at least he came out and said it. I mean, he, his for, hand was also forced because rumors came out, but he got in front of it and he was like, 
yeah, trade me. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to like do my own thing. And Kawhi did not step up and do any of that. And just to piggyback off that, I mean, I remember the na- I mean, when Kyrie got traded, I remember watching SportsCenter and First Take and all the shows, or just snippets or catching headlines. The narrative was Kyrie obviously doesn't want to win if he left LeBron. I just remember that being the the, the overarching narrative of of, of Kyrie leaving. And I just remember thinking, I'm sure he didn't leave because he doesn't want to win. And time kind of just healed that. So I guess just to summarize that, what I'm feeling right, right now about Kawhi, how I'm feeling about it um, specifically, I, I, time will tell. I mean, I'm just not, I, I, I fear that if I say anything now, it's going to just seem very boneheaded a month from now. You know, if, if I came out and said, Kawhi's going to be a Raptor two years ago, I would have been like, just no one would have took me seriously. So I'm just going to sit back and try to enjoy the show. It looks like he's probably going to play. I know there's a little talk that he might not even play for Toronto, but looks like that's kind of coming into place. And, uh, you know, I'm choosing to be excited about it. But uh, so, yeah, that's how I'm feeling about Kawhi. Yeah, I, I, just to respond to what you're saying, I'm not questioning his ability to play. I mean, he was a top three player a couple years ago. And I'm, I am excited to see how the Raptors look with him. Um, but I, and, and I think many fans often take the way that the players in the NBA handle themselves personally because it sort of it affects the competition and also my ability to look up to them as, as role models for other people and, and myself included. And I just think that his character is being, I question his character. Yeah, and I mean, okay. <laughs> Uh, so let me see. Are we missing anything? Anything about summer league? Any summer league? You don't like to. You don't have a lot invested in summer league, right? That's kind of. No, know. I don't. I, no, not really. So you see Joe Hart dropping like averaging forty points, and you're like, well, did Josh Hart score? Josh Hart, right? Another, see, okay. That's kind of the. <laughs> that's kind of the. No, because summer league is just like it's just like the worst of it's just like the worst of the NBA players playing against each other. What do you value more, like Luka Doncic playing overseas or what these guys are doing in summer league? Like, what do you think is better basketball competition? Uh, I don't know enough about Euro League, but you hear people talk about it being the second best league in the world. So I can't imagine that the worst of the NBA would be better than the best, second best league in the NBA in the in the, in the country in the world. Excuse me. I only bring that up because uh, when thinking about Luka Doncic, I, I just see a lot of people on on Reddit or YouTube or stuff that they're like, you know, every you know people are talking about Luka Doncic. You know, what if he could be? You know, what if he's a bust? As if since these other rookies from this rookie class are playing in the summer league, that they're already like that. There's this. We know what they are. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. No, man. This rookie class is going to be very mis- like we won't we won't know what we got until a year from now, just like a last year's rookie class. So yeah, what did Donovan Mitchell do in summer league last year? I have no but idea. But like, even if he played well, it's like you know, Kuzma played well during summer league, and everyone's like, shut up about Kyle Kuzma. Let's see if he can be effective in the regular season, and he was. So summer league proved mm-hmm. to be interesting when talking about Kyle Kuzma last year, but. I'm sure there are just countless players. Like Denzel Valentine. Didn't Denzel Valentine have an incredible summer Yeah, the Bulls won summer league and Denzel Valentine like, was the best player. On like a team. buzzer beater. I mean, just yeah. really like legendary competitive yeah. stuff. That, but it's, and that guy's hardly going to be in the rotation this year, I think. So that's an organic segue. You want to talk about the Bulls at all? Uh, sure. It's cool. I'm down. Um, I mean, segueing off of uh, summer league too, Wendell Carter Jr. looks incredible. He, he had something like eight blocks in his first two games, which is really amazing because 
I think what the Bulls franchise needs more than anything is just like some excitement. We've been watching Robin Lopez and before that, Dwayne Wade, Ray John Rondo, just like aging players. Derrick Rose, two years before that, who was just unfortunately a shadow of himself. So I'm just really excited about like not just Wendell Carter, but like Markinen and Dunn and, and Levine and like there's all these this young talent that like I'm gonna be really excited to watch games this year. And I'm not I don't have the highest expectations. I think we could get like a seven or eight seed. Maybe. Exactly. Like, two years ago, we were the eighth seed, right? And we played Boston, and I was living in New England at the time. So, after we were up two, I thought Rondo was going to give it to Boston. I was telling everyone, sweet. But Dude, he was killing him. He, yeah. But then he got injured. My point is, I'd much rather have be rooting for this team, where there is no end in sight. Like, that team, you were rooting for Dwayne Wade and Rondo, like you were saying. Even Jimmy Butler with his contract year right around the corner. Like, this is actually hopeful, you know? Nothing's going to get me too down about these guys because they're so young. Yeah, things are looking up for yes. sure. And, and, you know, the signing of Jabari Parker, uh, he did not look good last season, but he's a Chicago guy, and it's sort of one of those things where, like, he's on our team now and we invested in him, and he's young enough that, like, it's not like we put, you know, 80 mil into Dwayne Wade. It's, it's a 23-year-old guy who's had a couple, bunch of injuries, and, like, I'm hoping he's, he works it out. I think, I think there's some weird Derrick Rose karma that's manifesting in Jabari. I think this is, like... I think it's the right thing. I know, you know, Mike can't move laterally, but yeah. still, I'm a big believer in karma, and I just like bringing the bringing the the hometown guys home. So uh, yeah, I'm excited for the Bulls too. Wendell Carter, uh, not getting Michael Porter Jr. is feeling better and better as the days go on. Not because of anything he's done, but because how good Wendell Carter is. Is he playing summer league, Michael Porter Jr.? Or is he hurt? He's hurt, isn't he? He's yeah, he's sit. He's sitting. So he's not playing. Well, he's just not a hundred yet, and so they're you know how the NBA is. If you're ninety nine point nine, like you won't play mm-hmm. because, and you shouldn't. But um, it's just interesting. All the Chicago beat writers like living out here in Los Angeles, you have to like actively find your team's uh, uh, info. But all the beat writers from Chicago were all in on Wendell Carter, and it's just it's, it has this cool reassuring feeling that. We could get caught up in the hoopla and the headlines of all this hot takey draft business, but at the end of the day, like, you want someone who's a big guy, who's good at the fundamentals, who's good at defense. I mean, today's NBA, when do you, you know, blocks are more har- are harder to come by today. I think with more perimeter shots being taken, and just you're right, just to, you started off by saying talking about his blocks, and I'm only highlighting that because. You know, being able to be a proficient blocker signals to me as an NBA fan that you are doing the hard, dirty work that, uh, you know, a lot of great players neglect. You know, we could talk until the cows come home about how offensively talented Boogie Cousins is, but half the time he's not on my screen when he's supposed to be playing defense because he's on the other end of the court still. Mm -hmm. And I just think there's, it's really hard to quantify that. And Wendell Carter is kind of the antithesis of that and where I hope the NBA is going as a whole and I'm just excited about it. So, I guess that's, uh, let's wrap up NBA there. We come back, we'll talk about TV. Yes, folks, Justin is a television expert. We'll be right back. I don't have no paid sponsorship. All I gotta say is follow Harlan the Corgi, H-A-R-L-A and the Corgi on Instagram, blah. Alrighty, we are back. I am still with Justin. Justin, you have a uh, interesting relationship with TV. You want to just uh, give us the quick one to two minute summary on TV? Sure. Um, so I watch more TV than anyone that I know. Uh, fortunately, that is because I go to sleep at three o'clock every morning my whole life. 
Um, and I've been working from home for five years and I'm very good at multitasking. Mm -hmm. But I have watched and recorded in an app called TV Show Faves on my Android phone over 6,000 episodes of television and counting every single day. Sounds like a good app. It's a great app. It's only available on Android, not on iOS. I'm sure there's an alternative. There should be some sponsorship here, but whatever. The way that it works is <laughs> whenever I watch a show, I literally just like check mark the episode as having watched it. And uh, I'm just like a really, I'm really, for me, I really enjoy television for, just strictly for the enjoyment factor, but it's also kind of a numbers game for me. Like I really just kind of enjoy like consuming it and checking the boxes. And you take pride in your catalog. I take pride in the catalog and I also feel like I have some perspective on like what TV is good, what TV, I'm not gonna say I'm authority because I'm certainly not a critic, but like I've watched enough television that I feel like I have a really good grasp on like drama, comedy, action, like all the different genres and, and, and really can like Offer, offer to people a perspective that, that they might be looking for from someone who's just seen a lot of television. And it's interesting too, you know, in the last 10 years specifically, it's pretty easy. It's, the, it's not exactly a hot take to say that TV, there's been a TV boom in the last 10 years. As just as far as content being, you know, more and more in demand in all forms and across all platforms. So um, with that, I want to just get into a little bit of a midway through 2018 uh, kind of retrospective on TV and here's some of what you're liking in TV in the in the small corners of TV and for uh, for instance let's just get right into a mainstream topic Westworld I know you're not the you don't have the uh, this is the best show of all time take on Westworld I'm interested to hear why uh, what do you think of Westworld Justin? so, so uh, Westworld is a show that I watch weekly and that I will probably continue to engage in because it's sort of that one show right now that like a bunch of people are watching my roommates consume it but I don't like it at all. And I didn't like it in the first season because I felt like I was able to predict what was going to happen before it happened. And what I like about science fiction and mystery-related TV shows is when there's something that completely surprises me. And although the show looked great and you might be really compelled by uh, you know, robots and all these cool things that are happening, I, felt like, I feel like there's just gratuitous violence that's unnecessary. Uh, I felt like the writing was really bad. I mean, if, if, you, if you pay attention to how awful the security team is at, at eliminating some of these robots, they literally <laughs> just like walk towards them, no, take no cover. It's just terrible. Right, right, right. Um, and, uh, you know, something that has to be said about the show, and a lot of critics mention this, is like it's one of those shows where you almost like have to be following along on Reddit or some sort of like sure. podcast to know what's going on. And yet maybe that's what ruins the surprise for me because like people are smart enough that like a, a co co you know collective of people are going to figure out what's going on, but um, I just I just really I really don't like I really don't think it's good. Um, and the number one issue and I'm sorry it's taking me this long to get there is I don't care about the characters at all. You're supposed to like feel for these robots because they, they become sentient and they have feelings, but like the show does not at all at any point make you care about them. Interesting. So why would you say it's such a, as someone who consumes so much of the product, why would you say this, like, you know, Westworld is such a stronghold in the zeitgeist, I guess? I, I, I think that people really, I mean, I do this with some TV shows too. Like, I think there's some shows on their face, you have to accept them for what they are. Um, a good example of this in the same science fiction genre was Altered Carbon was a TV show that came out on Netflix this year. By all accounts, it was pretty terrible. But like I was kind of like accepted that it was terrible off the bat and went in enjoying like the way it looked, for instance, or like maybe a technology that they invented. But Westworld was marketed as the next Game of Thrones, and it's just not good. And because it was supposed to be this 
incredible ethereal show and it's not i'm not as willing to accept that it's bad and be okay with it okay awesome so and tell me if i'm wrong but i'm kind of reading that you your problems with westworld are kind of the yes they might do the big things well but they keep letting me down in the small things meaning like all the the small things that make me identify so high with uh, i know we both really like the wire is that every small detail even if it is insignificant and seemingly meaningless there will be some sort of payoff and there will be some sort of uh uh you get a, a affirming feeling that it rings true and when when a show might neglect something as small as what's going on with the security team like they're completely incompetent that that can really take you out it sounds like of the experience and absolutely that kind of sounds like what you're uh, going through with Westworld it is and one of the and one of the other things i think is important to note is Westworld one of the some of the actors on Westworld are incredible anthony hopkins in the first season is the main character uh, Evan Rachel Wood plays the main female yeah jeffrey wright is always yeah, they're, fantastic they're great but like but like even like in the season like it was really hard to watch Evan Rachel Wood on screen because she was so robotic and like monotone and like just like dead set on like killing a bunch of people and like it just wasn't there was nothing compelling going on right. on screen and if you don't care because you cannot care you cannot you know agree with a character but still not be taken out of the story because they're servicing the idea it sounds like Evan Rachel Wood's character like it, the show doesn't work if you don't give a shit about what she's doing yeah I don't yeah. sure that's fair okay interesting I, again uh world you know all my trillions of listeners i have justin on the spot he's got a very unique perspective because he does put you know hard work in these things that he has opinions on and they're kind of uh against the grain opinion so i'm excited whenever he comes on i want i want y'all to hear you know it's easy to be like oh you know you're just a hate you're just hating on westworld but no you're you're being brave and admitting that you find problems in this thing that is universally loved so i appreciate that and all across different mediums so I appreciate uh, your willingness to be genuine with me. So, absolutely. Enough of the negative talk, though. Let's go over some of your favorite shows of the year. I'll just let you take the floor, and I know we're gonna have some crossover here. Sure. So, the the best show on television by a landslide is Atlanta, and Atlanta. The first season was the best show that I had seen in some time. Uh, for those that don't know, Atlanta is a show uh, written by Donald Glover and I believe his brother and directed by Hiro Mirai, who this is his first time directing a TV show, but he had done music videos for years, like really, really incredible music videos. You might even know some. Mm, uh, not off the top. Let me look them up, actually. But, but yeah, definitely. Um, but what's, what's really amazing about Atlanta, and I want to say to the people who can't just tell from my voice, I am a, a white Jewish guy. And Atlanta is a show about, m m m for the most part, black culture, uh, a rapper and his manager trying to come up in Atlanta, Georgia. And I don't live that life. I know nothing about it. And what Atlanta does so incredibly is, it, is each episode takes you into a world that is so actualized that I feel like I know what it's like to be in Atlanta despite having no prior knowledge of it. And outside of that, and this is hard to explain without seeing the show, every episode itself kind of stands alone, yet still has Atlanta in it as a character. Right. Um, and and it, it's, sort of, it's sort of science fiction when you're not expecting it. It's funny. Uh, it, you really, you have to watch it because it takes you to a place that's never been portrayed on television, and we're obviously having a moment right now with, with uh, I would say, black culture being more more relevant on, on television than ever before, and I think it's really something that everyone needs to watch to sort of get a perspective and learn about something that they that's that's just never really been captured previously. Uh, super, I mean, awesome. Well, uh, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth for a lot of the things. Something about Atlanta that is so miraculous to me is 
the burden in creativity is trying to be like unpretentious, trying to get these huge ideas across without without it looking like you're trying to get huge ideas across. Um, and what Atlanta does so good is behind everything, uh, it's based in kind of a, it's a comedy. It is. But it's so serious. I know, it's so serious. <laughs> and and the, the, the main question that I'm left with often, and I'm just realizing this now talking to you right now, is the, the show forces you to grapple with, like, is this okay to laugh at? And what, like, why am I laughing here? I mean, there, there are, I just have at, at so many examples on this show where, whether it's Lakeith Stanfield's character, um, you know, or Earn talking to, on this last season, what was the barber's name? Bibby? Mm-hmm. You know, Bibby, I, I, I've never had a barber, but I just know, I know so much. I'm like Bibby. I, I, my, I have, you know, old people, like my grandparents a little bit are like Bibby in a way. And even if that's not the case, they do this thing in Atlanta where they make every character in every situation infinitely relatable via being hyper specific it's kind of hard to articulate but there no i i got some examples i can fill in i I think one of the best ones right off the bat was in the second episode of the first season uh they're in jail or there and Mm -hmm. and there was that mentally disabled person who's kind of started acting out and like you could tell that he there's something wrong with him but based on the clues they're giving you it seemed like he had been there a bunch of times before and like a cop came over and had no problem just like beating him and that that's that's probably the number that's the best example to uh, to convey what I'm talking about because I, I can't recall ever seeing in quote unquote Hollywood mental illness portrayed where I feel completely a hundred percent authentic with what I'm seeing mm-hmm. I mean I we've we've in real life how mental illness was portrayed on that show uh, or something like the arguments people have about being transracial or not. Everything is portrayed in a way that seems so obvious that we that we can't find anywhere else except right. on Atlanta. And and to, just on the flip side, to, so that people who maybe haven't seen the show or listening can know that it's not all serious. Uh, in the first episode of the second season, there's another run-in with Cat Williams, who's Ern's uncle and the cops, and like an alligator comes strutting out of his... Like, he literally has an alligator in his house. Yeah. Be- because... Because in the writer's room, I'm sure someone was like, what if you just got an alligator in the house? Right. And that's like kind of what I love most about movies and books and TV in general. It's just the absurdity that makes me look at something differently. In Atlanta, I mean, I, I, not one episode has failed to make me really, really think deeply about something that inside me that's going on. And those are the best shows. And I guess this is a cool segue to Barry, uh, HBO dramedy as well from this past year starring Bill Hader as a uh, hitman who wants to become a actor and just the dichotomy and juxtaposition of someone whose job it is to remain hidden in the dark all of a sudden wants the spotlight and kind of how that creates conflict. Um, I thought Barry got progressively better as it went and I liked the first episode but by the last episode I really thought uh, it made me think about TV in a bigger way where I think 10 years ago, Barry's a movie. 15 years ago, Barry's probably a movie. And you're right about the... It, it's much better fit for TV. I'm, so Barry is a show about uh, a former... I don't know if he's a Navy SEAL, but a very serious uh, hitman in the, in the Army, basically, uh, who 
gets back to real life and is hired to be a hitman in real life, but in the meantime discovers that he kind of wants to be an actor through one of the hits that's, that's arranged. Um, and he, he sort of struggles with this being torn between these worlds of like, all right, I'm like, I'm like trained to be a murderer, but like I'm also like really loving like being able to express myself on stage. And he finds interesting characters like Henry Winkler's and other people that he finds relationships with. Um, and he's just sort of caught, caught between two worlds. And uh, I guess what I would say about the show is I never realized until I watched Barry that I think I like everything Bill Hader does. Yeah. I don't think there's a thing that he's in between SNL, Superbad, uh, uh, Trainwreck. Trainwreck. I mean, I'm sure we're missing a lot of stuff, but like he's just really good and everything, and this is written and directed by him. And um, I just think it does a really great job capturing, again, something that I haven't seen on screen before. We've seen Hitmen. We've certainly seen... That's right. We've certainly seen shows and movies about people in acting classes, and to be honest with you, like that's not my not, not It's my a bit thing. of a dead horse. Yeah, it's not point. my thing, but like the way that he was able to merge them and some of the characters that he created with, with the Russian mob that's after him and, and whatnot, it's, it's, it's a very fun place to live in. And, and one thing that I'll tie between Atlanta, it seems like the two best shows this year, at least that we've decided to talk about thus far, are 30-minute shows, mm. which is really interesting because in years of past, you would say The Wire, Game of Thrones, shows that go a half an hour, or sorry, an 45 hour minutes long, to 45 an hour. Minutes to an hour. Mad Men, Breaking Bad. Right, but now we're in, in an era where, I don't know if things are shifting, but it certainly seems like being able to capture uh, these worlds in short periods of time is, is a, new, a new thing. And similarly, I think Barry Atlanta and Rick and Morty uh, just... I don't want to talk about Rick and Morty too much, but again, those seem like three of the biggest shows in my life, at least in my friends' lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and yes, they're all structured similarly. Uh, the last thing on Barry that you just made me think of was the show's actually about having to deal with feeling, and I, f- I feel like Barry as a hitman is so disconnected with knowing what feeling is that he sees this acting as a way to express himself. And why I think that's so important and resonant for right now is we live in such a weird and changing technological time and where we might give as much time to LeBron as like a mass shooting. We just, we, I, I hate saying we, I'm having a harder, I'm having a hard time knowing what to feel about, what to think about, how I know if I'm even feeling something for real or if I just know I have to convey this because it's a social construct. Mm -hmm. And the way to try to discover that through a hitman trying to become an actor, you know, I didn't even realize was playing on my inner psyche while I'm watching it. And, you know, again, never been to the, never been the Navy, never been a hitman, never, never, never been an acting class either, but still I'm, I feel like Barry, I feel like his love interest. I feel like the, the Russian mob who just wants some babka, you know, like it's, it's a it's a beautiful exercise in subversion and, that show and and you should and, and this is a good time for me to plug my favorite show of all time which I think you should watch Six Feet Under because Six Feet Under is my favorite show ever it t- it's about a family that runs a funeral home which is a completely unrelatable situation for me one of the main characters is gay one another of the main characters uh, husband passed away there's just like people that like have exper- are experiencing things on the show that I've never experienced but yet I've never related to more characters more people in my life so I think everyone out there should watch Six Feet Under if they're looking for a similar experience to what Barry can offer in a shorter time frame awesome I, definitely I, I, I need to watch that. you keep telling me to watch Six Feet Under um, I know you gotta we gotta wrap up you gotta go but before you go I just wanna give you the platform right before the show ends to to talk a little bit a little bit about Succession on HBO and what is your experience with Succession? Sure. Uh, I, I was late to the game to starting Succession. I actually watched all eight episodes 
two days ago. Respect. Uh, which is something that I do quite often. Um, <laughs> and it's really good. Um, it's one of those shows that, that kind of grew on me. Um, it, it's, 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 Succession is about uh, a very wealthy businessman and who, who, who struck an ill in the first episode and it's sort of how he wants to stay on top but his family wants to get in on it but there's all these other factors that are impacting it. They're, they're a very large family which is something that I actually don't relate to at all. There's like a bunch of people involved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> Me either. But what's, what's really amazing about it is their ability to sort of like take you into this financial world but it's kind of, it's more, it's like a family, it's a family drama, just taking place in a really fun, air, in a really fun space. So gotcha, gotcha. There's, there's, there are drugs involved, which I, I always find really compelling on screen. Like they literally do like cocaine, crack, uh, a, like weed on screen. And like, maybe that's not uncommon for HBO, but like those are things that like, you just don't see that often. And, but it, but You mean portrayed, portrayed as like a, as, as, as a, as a, almost like a real life toy that it is instead yeah. of this. Yeah, it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know another thing is that's interesting about the show is all the characters have their own quirks, but none of them are like too obvious. It's like all their motivations and the things that they do, despite the fact that I don't have millions in trust fund or billions of dollars, however much they have, I like get where all of them are coming from, and that makes the show enjoyable because like shows like Billions, for instance, which is another show about the financial sector that I quite enjoyed the first season. It jumps the shark so easy, and that's what some people like about it, is that it's it's not taking itself too seriously, and it's like purposely like this really like elaborate uh, you know luxury show. But uh, I think Succession sort of like examines like this world where like people have the world at their fingertips, they have all the money in the world, but like their motivations and, and the things that they do will seem like you know something that seems real, and that's what I like about it most. Awesome. Well, again, man, I'm having you on to talk about TV because I'm of the school of in 2018 there's so much tv that i'm constantly being told to watch that i just collapse under the pressure and end up not watching any of it so i you know i admire you for 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 sticking through all the bad i mean do you have anything right before you leave well, you'd like to talk about any of the worst shows that you've watched uh, this year that's or? interesting well the thing the one thing that's interesting is we're only halfway through 2018 sure, sure but it feels like there are way less good shows than there were last year i could i mean i every every year before the emmys i rank my favorite shows that i've watched in order and like I, th I think it was very hard to put together in my top 20 last year. And it's like, you're like kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel at the moment for the best shows on television. Um, and you know what's interesting about that to me? Completely, I, I think conversely is the word. I think last year was a really down, movie, uh, down year for movies. And I think this year is a sneaky, jam-packed year for movies <laughs> so far. So it's interesting that uh, I have such a movie, you know, I pride myself on seeing all the keeping up with movies, you pride yourself in keeping up with TV, that, you know, we kind of got a yin and yang, at least for right now, perspective on where they're both at. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, any, any, any uh, deep dive show, any, uh, I guess, personal show that may, might be not in the mainstream that you recommend for people who, I don't know, We'll only listen to the headlines. Any show you need to dig deep that you recommend? Sure. So, like, literally on Monday, I think I, I read an article on Reddit that Unreal, which is a, which is a parody show about The Bachelor that's on Lifetime, uh, got canceled. But then they just put the whole fourth season up on Hulu, so I watched the whole season in a day. Um, this show is amazing because not for it's not like Succession. It's not like Six Feet Under where you're looking watching it for the characters. It's like 
every so basically it's, it's about the bachelor but it's from the perspective of the people who create the show and there's so many incentives for them to win that they're all just so ruthless and awful to each other that it's kind of like how i imagine people watch reality tv show it's like you're watching people be so awful that like it's just you kind of feel better about yourself and like it's really enjoyable to like see them put themselves in like just absurd situations so unreal is something that i would certainly plug it's again it got canceled uh, it has four seasons out there. They're, they're really easy to watch because each season is about a different season of The Bachelor, quote-unquote. Um, and uh, I think that's a really fun show, to, fun show to check out. There you go. You heard it here. Succession and Unreal. That's Justin for you. Um, thank you very much. We will speak soon, I'm sure. And uh, anything to plug? Thanks for having me on. Follow my dog, Harlan the Corgi, on Instagram. Harlan the Corgi. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Justin. Alrighty, so that was Justin on the NBA TV. Now I'm going to be joined by uh, my brother. Who, uh, we recorded a podcast at around at around 2 a.m. one of these nights, and this is kind of uh, the result. We talk about movie sequels, so buckle up, and uh, here we go. Action. Dan and Sam here, late night, talking sequels. Best sequels, worst sequels, Y sequels, equals E sequels squared. That's kind of what we're on right now. So, Daniel, Blinky, what's your most important sequel? I have a guess. Is it Matrix Reloaded? It's not. No. What's your... When I say sequel, what movie do you think of? Well, before we start getting into concretes, I want to know if... Number threes are off the table. Mm-hmm. I want to know if prequels are off the table. Yes. Everything's off the table except sequels. Number two. Number twos. Okay. Just number twos. Well, as the leader of this discussion, why don't you okay. start us off here with some The impetus for examples. this uh, was I was going over Blade Runner 2049 in my head. Okay. And it's just so unique. I mean, it's such a it's such a it's such its own movie and it's just informed by the world that it's from and then decides to really try to change your life in a new way. And it just made me think how you don't really get that from sequels. No, it's a rather new idea, especially because we're starting to live in a world where sequels are not surprising to any degree you know that when an ip is gonna you know spawn another one from the first box office weekend as soon as right as soon guardians of the galaxy for instance is on my mind with the recent news of james gunn being lost and you know when that movie came out and it was decided by the general movie going public and critics alike that it was a hit that movie was signed up for a number two off off the bat. And so we live in a world where we're starting to finally accept from a movie production level that sequels are the norm. And I think that that gave Blade Runner 2049, Dennis Villeneuve, everyone involved a little more run, runway to do something original. And we're going to hopefully start seeing more and more sequels that can live in that world where they're kind of like original movies that... Ex- you know, have the same IP. I mean, 
that's so really what a sequel should be at the end of the day, right? So, yeah, I mean, what, what does it mean then that something that we agree so firmly on, that being the Blade, 20, Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> is like a masterpiece in its, own, in its own right, and didn't even do well. <laughs> I mean, it came in lower than projections, and like, there definitely won't be a Blade Runner 3. But, but that's a different discussion, because, you know, you started talking about monetary reasons for sequels and where we in the landscape sure uh, but you want my personal pick i mean I'm, i don't I'm want really this, just deferring this because... isn't like a jaded sequel discussion okay back which to the it future could be two. right back to the future 2 is on my mind for sure i would say that's among my favorites is back to is back to the future 2 better than back to the future for me it is by light years just only because of to me it wasn't a sequel i saw it when i was so young that like I might have seen Back to the Future two first. Got like they've always they're in my head as one, you know. Understood. Um, I think obviously that movie ends up being cute for a number of reasons, not least of which is all the things that it got right and some of the things that it got wrong. Now watching it with such distance. It's twenty fifteen, right? Is yeah. Back to the Future two? Exactly. The Cubs won the World Series. They were a year off on that one. They were a year off on that. That was not three D Jaws. Kind of was. 3D Jaws is kind of crazy when you say it like that about movies in general. And Nike ended up <laughs> actually releasing the shoes that tie themselves like as a challenge or slash publicity stunt. Slash... But even bigger, like just the just the tools that it takes and its time travel execution, the sports gambling aspect of Back to the Future Two is something really remarkable in its own right. The Biff be like runs basically the world because he's made privy to sports information. Well, it's also... Resonates really, really you know, really resonates with me. <laughs> I, I, I respect that. I also think that it does something cool, which is set up kind of the, the real main villain of the whole series, which is Destiny in a sort of way, because you don't get... Marty McFly being like a downtrod. You don't get to see him fuck up and fail in the future and him having to thwart that. You don't see him you see having him to chicken. confront. Yeah, you don't see him having to confront what what it means to him to be called a chicken. I mean, that's explained a little bit well, in the and first Bi one. And but... you don't blame young Biff for no. older Biff's reaction. Like, you, you don't blame him. You, you, don't, you, don't you blame, blame him. old Biff. It's very funny. Like, I'm not mad at young Biff. I'm mad at old Biff for Back to the Future 2 and that dystopia that Marty goes to. No, it's it's so much more vile what happens in 2. And I think that, again, yeah, I was so young that the creativity that, like, some people who are... I mean, there are some people from Generation X from that are 40 and up that would say Back to the Future 2 is garbage because, like, it mm -hmm. just, like, completely loses And that's totally magic. fair. And that's totally fair. Exactly. And it makes, like, such direct callbacks to the first one, like, directly that it, it's, it's a rehashing. But I think that that rehashing is so integral to the plot itself where he goes back to him going back to the past and he starts interacting with the hymn from the like it's just so recursive that it, it has okay. validity when you for me anyway when you actually examine it it it's, it stands on its own so is it okay even without the third one which ends up resolving a number of yeah, things yeah, about yeah, it which, even, and the third one sucks hey we're not talking third ones 
Target which second. is literally exactly the second one. We ain't talking third ones. Goods. Remember, we're, we're not, not talking third ones. We're okay. talking second ones of ones. Um, but so, is it wrong that I think Back to the Future Two is my favorite one, but I think Back to the Future is better than Back to the Future Two? Is that fair? I think that's fair. Well, I know this isn't the podcast for it, or maybe it is, and I know very little <laughs> about basketball, but it's kind of like my argument that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, but LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time. It's so funny. You this can is, exist in multiple worlds. This is very worlds. funny, and you must know this on this platform right now, because that is just such a legitimate take in the basketball world. Yeah, that's all. I mean, And I'm, you don't follow basketball not, in the slightest. Not really. But that, and... That, and that's my personal relationship with it. Yeah, and that's fair. Cool. So I would say that you're totally well within your reason to say that Back to the Future 2 is the greatest of the three, but that the first one is the best of the three. Okay, I don't even think... I think one is better and greater. I like two more. Oh, well then, I don't know. Two's like my Allen Iverson. Okay, I got it. I was going to say Scalabrini, but, you know, to Yeah, no, you own. don't get it, but I, feel, I love you so much. Okay. <laughs> um, well, We're trying, man. I mean, Godfather 2 is like a sequel that just hangs in the air whenever people talk about okay, it. Okay, let's go. Era. Let's go right in right now. I just, mean, Just a little detour okay. down sequel lane. Well, I mean, Godfather 2, you get De Niro's... I mean, where does... Young Vito rank on the Pantheon. It can't be lower than like two. I feel, even though it might be, I, f- I feel like that's honestly the most important role in movie history in this moment right now. now I know is I'm what wrong. Young Vito Corleone. I don't like what. Can you imagine the pressure? Like if that was just today of like a young. I, I feel. I mean, that's I, 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 I was. I, um, I mean, no. No, 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 no. But what big has he done before that? Um, I'll, look up. I'll look driver. it up. Has let, me, he done... let me pull up De Niro right now. Deer Hunter, because no, 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 no. Because Raging like, Bull is eighty. It's right before Raging Bull. Because in my head, he's I done Scorsese. Mean Streets. He's done Mean Streets. I want Scorsese to come up to De Niro and be like, "Hey, listen, you remember Godfather? Like, remember, it just came out. It was huge. Hit. It was an amazing film. Yeah, we want you to play young Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the stakes were." Yeah, you, you increase it, the stakes. This hindsight isn't making it better than it is. I mean, this is how it was then. It was like if you, you're playing what Brando you're, in what, what the late doing, 70s. That's what you're doing is already you're, you're extending the plot of the first one into a deeper, more fruitful, and more eventful continuation of the present of the Godfather story. It's the logical progression. It's the logical progression, and it's exciting, and bigger, and more hurt, coupled with a... a a very authentic and equally deep and equally built out backstory for a backstoryless main character that was I mean, is the Godfather almost the MacGuffin of Godfather? It's mm. like Michael's really the the story. Well, okay, mover. I mean, that's a good question about the MacGuffin maybe. <laughs> uh, but so in the Godfather, I'm just I'm just thinking about and it. it's crazy that two so good without Sonny. I mean, there's the one flashback, depending on the cut the you last, watch, but... I mean, the last scene of The Godfather 2, in my mind, is a scene of Michael telling his family he's going to join the, the army. And Sonny's there. And, like, it's... That's the last scene of The Godfather 2. After he drifts off, after he kills Fredo, it drifts into that scene. That's the last scene? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Not certain. like Michael looking out at the water. No, or and then it, like... it dissolves into that scene. 
or comes back to the water after that scene. It's one of the mm-hmm. two, but it ends with that. Um, but the first one is such a movie about Michael's like loss of innocence. I know that's kind of cornball to say, but it's a very interesting take on if you just strip away what it is and say, okay, this guy is going to start up here, and by the end he's going to fall way the hell down here. And well, on one scale, he's also going to rise on another scale. Mm-hmm. Exactly, course. exactly. Um, and it's just so classic. It's so distilled. It's so, it's like you. Brandon doesn't really have as much screen time as we think in Godfather. Um, that scene where Michael's protecting him and he goes and they've taken the taken the uh, guards off duty in the hospital. Still one of the, my most frightened scenes I've ever been. <coughs> yeah, it's it's really well edited. I mean that that movie is just. I well, mean, my point we're is, not, it, we're not no, my, no, my point is, I'm sorry, I'm getting sidetracked in the perfection that is the first Godfather. My, in the Godfather two, it chooses to go and just take the Michael approach and do it to Vito, and and, and twist it, and then you and then you tap De Niro for that. And to see it go, uh, to look back in it and to see it go not only so flawlessly, but you didn't even know you could expound to this level in this way on, on the idea of Michael, don't ask me about my business, Kay. I mean, just the, the fall of Michael to juxtapose it with the rise of Vito, which is basically the plot of the second one. Yeah. Um, I think that's, you choose, people who like that say Godfather 2 is better. People that love the uh, own universe that the Godfather One is in, where nothing comes after it, you know. Mm-hmm. Even then, I'm sure those people love Godfather Two, but in their mind, the ending of the Godfather's like, "Don't ask me about like." I mean, so I think, and the door shuts. I mean, that's the so big idea transition. Just sure. quickly, no, for I think for sure. I think what I'm pulling as an insight is that things we enjoy about sequels is that they. They both widen our understanding of the universe that they both live in, but then oftentimes they recontextualize the world we met in the first one in a way that gives it a broader scope when we re-examine it. For instance, there are sequels abound across movies that we love, the Marvel-verse included, that do nothing to expand the world. Not, I don't mean in, ter- in terms of the movie we're watching, but in terms of revisiting the first one. And there are ones, like all the ones we've discussed tonight, Godfather 2 in particular being the one that set this off. You know, when you rewatch Godfather 1 after scene 2, applying all that context gives you a whole nother read on the film that makes it even more exciting to re-engage that whole text and there are a lot of movies that aren't at, or sequels in particular that aren't as successful as doing that as the ones we've mentioned so far Blade Runner 2049 of course you know lives on its own does all the amazing things it does but if you're interested in doing so you could probably go back to the first Blade Runner and find some new context to give it with Villeneuve's interpretation mm. in the sequel for sure and I'm really keen on discovering what movies have great sequels that do that to a a better degree than others um oh can i i think there's one logical transition here segue we need to go into at this exact moment 
Go on. Let's go into Matrix Reloaded then. <laughs> for real. I mean, we're talking sequels. To, okay, go, so why does it fail? Bring some context for Matrix Reloaded to why that's important to us talking about it through this lens of talking about sequels. What was Matrix to you? What was well, Matrix to no, Matrix us growing Reloaded up? Is loaded go off is a, on the Matrix, my guy. No, it's just a really loaded conversation because objectively that movie is not great. Truly. What about The Matrix, though? The Matrix let's, let's is... Give this the, let's have this talk. Let's really okay. hash this out. What I'm saying is The Matrix was, for me, at a very tender age, the first R-rated movie I saw in theaters and an absolute wonderkind of a cinematic experience for Did me. The Matrix change your life right when you saw it? Sure. And I how? Mean, how? It, was, it was the... It, it moved the threshold of my imagination to a, a higher level than it, like, it raised the bar of what... I, so Matrix had this weird aspirational quality to me you, as well. It, 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 so, uh, what was the game called that you played? The Xbox game? Enter the Matrix? Enter the Matrix. It came you, out with the Reloaded, though. You could be Ghost or... Uh, Nairobi. Nai 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 Nairobi. Yeah. Uh, okay, just wanted to get that in there. <laughs> well, those are the the the, the, the Osiris crew. But the animatrix, the an basically, I, I bring this up because it's so interesting. Because I've heard when people talk about the Matrix, it's a good example when talking about sequels to say it ruined the Matrix, Reloaded and Revolutions, like ruined the Matrix a little bit. I disagree with that. See, I asked you about your experience with it as a kid and your nostalgia factor. Uh, about the Matrix because, you know, it never meant as much to me as it did to you. Now looking back as someone who's like an avid movie lover and trying to watch it like new every time, the Matrix is like, oh, such a masterpiece. I was yes. trying to think of like, what's the best scene of the Matrix? And for the first scene, now there are a few like expositional scenes and-, and This isn't a sequel, but- kind of, kind of thing, but just talk about the Matrix. It is a- Every scene is the best scene. You think the, the scene is the best scene and the next scene happens and then you're like, no, this is the best scene. Oh, no, he's about to get downloaded karate. Oh, no, he's about to go into the simulation. Wait, press pause in the simulation. Did you ever notice in the past 20 years that this movie's been out that these people are just copies of these people in the simulation because he designed the program and it's a program and the deeper metaphor behind that, ugh, you know, that's the matrix. And then... Uh, Reloaded comes out. I remember seeing Reloaded with you, and it just felt like Fast and the Furious, kind of. <laughs> right? Like, what happened with Reloaded? Because it, it leaned into the mythology. You can't say it didn't do that. Listen, it, it okay, so the, ma <laughs> the Matrix is, and the Reloaded, I think, is almost like just, it was, it's the downfall that we are all doomed to suffer for loving something. <laughs> And I, what I mean by that is... Yo, preach. Please preach. What I mean is that The Matrix was beloved because all it did was ask questions. <laughs> and then Reloaded and Revolutions attempted to answer those questions. And we were like, no. There is a spoon, it turns out. <laughs> we were like, no, thank you. We, no, thank you. We, we were good. And that's the real truth. I think, I mean, that's what... <clears throat> everyone loved about Game of Thrones is that there's so many loose threads and everything interwoves and connects and then 
all of a sudden you gotta you get you gotta answer the questions you set up and people are forced into corners and I think that it's kind of a it's not an unfair assessment it's just the nature of the pursuit of the sequel to address those things it's so much I feel like this is a weird tangent to go on but it's like almost it it bears a similarity to seduction in a way where like a woman who is clothed could be conceived conceivably sexier than a naked woman because your imagination is given a little more runway to insert yourself insert your biases insert your thoughts into the way that you interpret their lustfulness seductiveness etc and when a, a movie is just asking questions you know you have a, a, an open runway to discuss and think anything you want about it it's open-ended to interpret when the matrix ends he like hangs up on the cool. fucking yeah. like he hangs up on the system he's talking to you <laughs> he's talking to you but <laughs> he's also talking to like the machines like he's like just leaving a message for the like entire insurgent robot army was just like like we're kind of like we're on it now and we're about it yeah, yeah and then he flies away and you're just like oh my this god this is the best movie i've ever seen yeah and like just, even now if you watch it if you really can get it ah, this is tricky but there's nothing to not get behind well all the guns is a bit okay <laughs> so that's what so if you can get, and I don't want to say if you can get over the guns, but if you can get over the guns, and like, remember when they're in the right room, it's like, what gun do you want? Vroom, vroom, any gun in the world, because guns are so fucking cool. Like, yeah. yeah, that's a big part of the movie, is the bullet dodge. And, but if you can get over all that, because it is like, they just execute that shit so Right, but well, this is all to but... service the conversation, Dude. that the, this is all to service the conversation that the sequels, Matrix Reload, I mean, Matrix Reloaded as the second one, makes a really strong effort to like continue that story and the godfather blade run i mean blade runner 2049 is a perfect example of how do you continue you just keep asking questions yes you know (laughs) and exactly and the matrix reloaded didn't keep asking questions it tried to answer all of them and tried to make it epic by closing off the loops when I think it probably would have been better service to the Matrix entirely if it didn't do that. I think this is a really good example of uh, when a sequel is easy versus hard, and I hate to break it down in those terms, but it's much harder to let 30 years go by and do a sequel. It's much easier to like cash in, and I know how broad and ignorant and stupid that sounds as... Uh, a sense, but the idea behind it <clears throat> is does the Matrix Reloaded ruin the Matrix for you at all? Um, no, because I give myself a, I give myself distance when I want to. Like, I can, I can the Matrix can live. It's certainly and, sullied and, it. It's and, certainly sullied it. The, yes. the Matrix will never not have the Matrix Reloaded. The, the Matrix is forever worse for the Matrix Reload. And I love the Wachowski brothers. Okay, but does the events of the Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions 
preclude us from a fucking sick Matrix universe <laughs> reboot 15 years yes. from now. No, exactly. We, I'd be down for that. I mean, because that's does what Matrix Blade 2049. Right, Matrix 4097. Sure. <laughs> <clears throat> um, well, no, I mean, they kind of did set it up. You could just jump another millennia or whatever with how the Matrix plotline what, what, ends. But we're not, we're not what going to... vision they're on of the code? Right, exactly. Like, what, what's the architect up also, to? Also, that movie isn't... It certainly doesn't suffer from this, and, and thankfully it remains stylized, but the the ju- like the very pre-Web like 2.0-ness of that movie, like there's very much computers and tech and internet... But it's all still like just on the cusp of the internet boom, and like, so there's no social media, there's no smartphones, there's no, I mean, even the the, the iconic cell phone that Neo uses is like a flip phone that just like he clicks. It's like a Nokia, you know, like it's kind of stuck in time technologically <clears throat> speaking. I think that there's a huge opportunity in the near future to engage it from the perspective of what is now 20 years since it's come out you know what will be 30 years when the movie inevitably comes out um can we shift to some other sequels yes where does the dark knight rank for you personally as best sequels now i hate to rank things but i love to rank things so i don't hate to rank things so i'm gonna rank things Blade Runner 2049 right now, to me, in this moment, is the best sequel ever made. I think Dark Knight's number two, but I think Dark Knight held that spot before that 2049 thought crept in there and knocked Dark Knight from its beautiful pedestal. Because Dark Knight, like, you don't even, no one even gives a shit about Batman Begins, which is a, and Batman Begins is a phenomenal movie. And no one gives a shit about it. It's just like, Dark Knight, it's its own, it's just its own stratosphere. Dark Knight is top five for me, but it's probably not top three. So let's get let's get into. I was trying to be the objective like take on it. Now, how I think is we were actually discussing this earlier tonight, but um, Batman Begins is probably a better movie structurally than The Dark Knight. The, the Dark, Dark Knight's Knight, a little too long at the end. The Dark Knight lives and breathes on the ledge of performance, mm-hmm. and if you don't, I mean, not if you cut it out, because like obviously the movie's nothing if you cut it out, but if you kind of like look with a little tunnel vision like around Heath Ledger's performance which is so commanding it's very tough to it seems that movies start to show a little deep, deeper you know you're you're kind of along for Nolan's ride that you know there, there are certain things about the Dark Knight that are really tired for me of, of Nolan by Interstellar let's say <laughs> like that don't really I mean th- it's this love argument, Murph this, this argument doesn't hold water but like there's there's certain things about the Dark Knight, the way it's that paced. That planet and... on Interstellar surely held water. I'm sorry, keep going. <laughs> that you ignore. It's love. Because man. the Joker is the end of villainry. I should say, um, I don't think the Dark Knight is actually bad at any point structurally. I love that. I really do love Eckhart's performance. I think you actually rob the Dark Knight of like breathing. With ha- jamming two faces, ethos and and the weight and and pressure of of conveying a Nolanized uh, two face, you just 
trying to jam that in is the last well, 50 minutes of... It's uh, really good. It's, it's, I love Eckert's performance. I love it. I, I love that Two-Face. So, again, what are we really saying? But um, We'll like, cut this part out. I know there's no point of anything at the end of the day. We won't cut this out. There's no... Whatever, whatever. The Dark Knight is better than Batman Begins, right? To you? For me, it is because yeah. Heath Ledger's performance is like the best performance head-to-head yeah, yeah, yeah. of anyone yeah, that's ever no, acted it, it is, it in is. a movie. But, but Bale's better in one. Bale's great in two. Because what the Nolan uh, uh, universe decides to explore... Like, I had this... Uh, I don't want to shout him out by name, but Mr. C in high school, he, he was always saying that Keaton was the best Batman because... Bruce Wayne was a real character in those Batmans. He was like, he was like, I don't know what to do with all this wealth. I'm just like a good guy. I have a personality. I'm, and in the Nolan universe, Bruce Wayne is an utter like facade. He's a caricature. He's a character. Like the real Bruce is not Batman. It's this guy that only Rachel Dawes and Alfred and uh, Lucius Fox know, right? I mean, who else knows Bruce in that universe? Roz. Okay, but you, but you know what I mean. Yes. So, I think the way they lean into that in two and really getting to see the how lonely he really can well the be. utter shame they they you get to show they just executed Batman so well in two that you also have a great Batman performance. Okay, okay but then you also have like stuff. Okay, which is fine for the movie. But then you have like. The one guy who goes to Lucius, who's like gonna blackmail Bruce Wayne with the info, and then the whole and your plan is to blackmail this person. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. You look ripe. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. I don't. That was. I'm just gonna have to live with it. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, Lucius Fox is canceled. Um, oh my god. What's bad? Well, who's Batman gonna go to now that Lucius Fox is canceled? No, listen. Well, now that Lucius is gone, you can do the Patriot Tony, Act. Like. Tony Stark? No, no, no. He just. He's like, oh, well, Lucius is gone because he got canceled, so now I can just have this system that watches everybody all the time. Oh, yeah. That also doesn't age very well. Well, I mean. It's, I mean, he's a not, vigilante, so you Hasn't aged super... much differently? Has, like, Snowden changed how we view that aspect of the Dark Knight like has it aged poorly well, wasn't it it's not that it aged poorly it's that in the movie Lucius is like oh yeah it's, you like, shouldn't. it's a nitpick for he's sure. like he's like you shouldn't do this this is this is wrong and you're watching it in 08 and you're like yeah Batman like fuck you Lucius like hack those cell phones and in 2018 you're like Lucius has a point Batman <laughs> you don't really see the ramifications <laughs> Right, I'm not right. saying that the movie has an age for I think we have an age we've aged poorly. We've aged poorly. Yeah, sure. Definitely. So that movie is tougher now. Nah. Also, I mean? Dark Knight is so fun. Dark Knight is also worse because Dark Knight Rises is truly a train wreck. It's not a bad Tom Hardy performance, right? It's just it's a okay. It's a it's not a bad performance, but it's a bad role. It's tough, right? Because it's. Because the last we see the Joker is him laughing as the camera turns 180 degrees to reveal that he, yes, he's upside down, but he's actually right side up. And then the Joker's character is done with forever. 
which is a beautiful thing and really tragic. Really, really, really tragic. But it is a, it's the right decision by Nolan, right? Like, not to even... Yeah, I mean, no, I mean... We're not I... talking thirds, though. I'm sorry. I <laughs> broke the only rule. I did the Bane voice. I went way deep into a third. We can't talk about no thirds. Were there too many twos? Um, horrible bosses, too. Okay. Uh, th- see, this is Legally Blonde, too. Right, there, this is a good point. Major League, two. Speed, two. Cruise Control. Bad News Bears, too. Bad Boys, too. Men in Black, too. Come on. There's so many more. Ant-Man, too. Does Herbie Fully Loaded count? Incredibles, too. Is Herbie Fully Loaded, is like, Chronicle Blade Akira? 2049 before it ever happened? Because it's Is like... Herbie Fully Loaded? Transformers The Last Night, too? <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with no. Okay. Um... <laughs> What's that on your cell phone? I'm looking up sequels, just names of sequels now. Okay, it says Toy Story 2. Okay, we're not going to do the names. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sequels. Do you like Night at the Museum 2. I guess, I guess I love sequels is my point. Like I'm not against sequels because there's so many terrible ones, yes, but we would have none of the good ones. It's, 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 it's something that I, I'm going to crib from a nerd writer YouTube binge that I just recovered from. And it was a video he did on intertextuality. Ah, I see now. It's a great one. Intertextuality. (laughs) It's, it's the, it's the definition of what a sequel is which is the the reuse of a cultural unit basically mm-hmm. within a given medium so good thing you bring this up because I, w- I was thinking how to pawn that video off in my head luckily i couldn't do it well enough so i was scared to like fumble it and not pawn it off as my own but yes this i was gonna bring this up this okay. this kernel of culture that sequels cheaply um well, the idea is is that you use you use intellectual property from a pre-existing uh, piece of content to cheat in uh, a much larger emotional package or meaning than you are physically capable of. The example that the video uses very well is when in Star Wars 7, The Force Awakens, when the camera very cheekily pans to the first shot of the Millennium Falcon, to which anyone who is in a theater across America knows received a copious amount of applause. Solely because, again, you know, if there was no attachment to the Millennium Falcon as a ship, as a shape, as a feeling, as an idea, you know, as a Lego set you built you with know, your cousin when exactly, you were five. That scene means nothing. That pause means nothing. But J.J. Abrams can work with this deeply personal cultural unit that is the Millennium Falcon. And he can... And that's cheap. Well, it's not... It's, it, it, it's, it's like it, technically when, when, cheap. <laughs> when, when deftly deployed, it can be extremely powerful. Um, and I'm not arguing that it was or wasn't. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that... I didn't say cheap, I meant cheat. It is a way to 
Trojan horse in a larger copious amount of feelings that you don't need to expound on in the moment because it, it you know it's like a it's like a meme um, in a certain capacity so I wanted to bring that up is because that's what sequels basically are um, they are these repackaging of uh, cultural units from pre-existing IP and when done effectively going back to our personal favorite example blade 2049 you get to leverage images like deckard you get to leverage worlds and scores like the one vangelis created and that you know was built from the ground up by ridley scott and you get to explore new nooks and crannies of them and you get to find real meaning in the things that both were and weren't touched on beforehand and you know i i do worry that you know with more sequels and more clear reliance that we're going to get more shit but at the same time there's hopefully more opportunities for creatives to be trusted with novel takes on beloved characters did you see alien covenant sounds like you were waiting to say that did you see alien covenant yeah look upon you works Alien Covenant is like pro, is the sequel to Prometheus, right? I know that. Right? Yes. What is Prometheus to Aliens? A prequel. My point is like they waited all this time and then we can talk Alien Covenant belongs in this conversation even though even though cuz it's Prometheus 2, right? <laughs> it's Prometheus 2. I, I bring it up because prequel. what you were talking about made me think of we're already here at this point where it, it's happening right now. Alien Covenant represents the, we just have so much, uh, we just play with, we use this intertextuality to such an extent, especially it seems like in the science fiction world where the cult, um, um, I mean, this is where this conversation has been leaning. We've talked about uh, about a lot of sci-fi movies with sequels and well, that's because sci-fi is already like an exploratory backdrop for film, for storytelling. And that curiosity that brings you to sci-fi in the first pl- and fantasy in the first place is only stoked by expanding that world, you know? Whereas a lot of other traditional stories, more dramas, thrillers, these things are built with a three-act structure in mind from, you know as far back as Shakespeare times. That's not to say Shakespeare didn't write sequels. I think he did. There are a couple, actually, that he wrote, but I don't care to expound on them. Uh, Despite knowing I all of them, everything I, about. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what I what I am saying is... It, it, there's room for both, I guess. I think we should try to, as a culture, find the joy and balance in enjoying things that have a beginning, middle, and end, and that are tasteful and artful for that reason, and things that, you know, are left open-ended and can become pathways to new worlds that we can explore. Um, Hopefully, the ones that try it have a huge budget and really awesome minds behind it. Who's doing Dune? Villeneuve.
Who's doing Dune? Is Prisoner of Azkaban a sequel? It was on the list that I like. I was looking at. <laughs> I looked up best sequels ever made, and like Google gives you pictures at the top that you could just scroll with. And Prisoner of Azkaban was definitely on there. I mean, we could talk no. about Quaron's master. I think it's a good time to wrap up. That's a whole nother pod, the Azkaban pod. Um. So okay. Signing off. Not signing off yet. You got to rank some shit. Sequels. What are your best sequels? Go. This is tough. Okay. Gladiators 2. A Beautiful Mind 2. Gladiators 2. You mean Gladiator 2? Yeah. It was called Gladiators as well. (laughs) Um... What else is Russell Crowe in? Nice Guys 2. Nice Guys 2. Robin Hood 2. LA Confidential 2. And that's my list. Okay. Mine is... I mean, you know mine. Blade Runner 2049. Matrix Reloaded. Okay. At the top. (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us. I fucking hate my brother. Yeah, I hate you too. This conversation stalled and got like real like... Bad. Arduous. Can't wait for Sam to listen to it all and then try to edit it and realize it was pointless. Are sequels pointless? Just kidding, we're back. Okay, what about Superman 2? Superman 2 is better than Superman. What about Spider-Man 2? Spider-Man 2 is better than Spider-Man. What about Rocky 2? <sighs> okay, what about... Rocky 2 is not <clears throat> better than Rocky. Too Fast, Too Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious is not better than Fast and the Furious. Just keep doing this. Empire Strikes Back. <sighs> better than A New Hope. Terminator 2. <sighs> You know what? I think this is the unconventional pick. Not better than Terminator. Raid 2. Better than Raid. Way, so good. Way better than Raid. <laughs> but Raid was astonishing. Stop <coughs> coughing. Don't cough anymore. Mission Ever. Impossible 2. Oh, next. I'm ready for Fallout, though. I'll say that. <laughs> Ocean's 12. Just name all of them. Ocean's 12. Stop scrolling. Name them. Uh, Ocean's 12 is not better than Ocean's 11, but it's good. It's a good sequel. John Wick, Chapter 2. Better than John Wick. Uh, I guess Skyfall shouldn't be on the list. Quantum of Solace. No, no come on. The, these aren't sequels. These are... 20- the Last Jedi. Not a sequel. Sequel to The Force Awakens. Not a... Stop. The only sequel is The Empire Strikes Back. Before Midnight. Wow. Wow. Um... That's technically the third one, because there's Before Sunset and Sunrise. Oh, yeah, Sun. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I was... Kill Bill Volume 2. I think Sunrise... I think the second Before movie is the best one. Kill Bill Volume... I don't count that as a sequel. Do you count that as a sequel? Is that a sequel? Is Kill Bill 2 a sequel? Yes, it is. I think Kill Bill 1's better. Okay, Kill Bill 1. Next. Come on. Two Towers. Two Towers was better than Fellowship when I saw it originally. Now I think Fellowship is the best out of the three. But fe- it is the best of the three. Fellowship, yeah, for sure. Toy Story 2. Nope. Born Supremacy. I guess it would be Born... Yeah, because that ultimatum is three. I kind of love Born Supremacy. Wow, that's a great question. What, would, what, would you, what do you think? 
I love supremacy. Okay. It's identity. Okay. Next. Batman Returns. No. Clone Wars. Not a sequel. <clears throat> Desperado. Not better than El Mariachi. Because it's... Come on. <laughs> is the good, the bad, and the ugly technically the second in the series? Or is it... I forget. I think it's the third, though. It's a man with a fist, fistful of dollars. Maybe it's the second. Okay, what about Lethal Weapon 2? Oh, no. I can't recall Lethal Weapon 2 like that. We haven't talked about... <laughs> I guess let's go down... Okay, okay, go. Okay, here's something... Here's one option, but we could go down Marvel sequels. Okay, let's do the best Marvel sequel and we'll end it right here. Okay, best okay. Marvel let's, sequels. Let's identify the Marvel sequels. Okay, the Iron best Man one two. is Wait. Winter Soldier. <laughs> I guess so. It's better than Iron Man 2. It's better than Thor The Dark World. It's better than... Avengers 2. It's better than... Guardians 2. Mm-hmm. Is it better than Ant-Man and the Wasp? Ooh. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Alright. That's... So Winter Soldiers? Okay. It's Winter Soldier. Robert Redford's in it. Small Soldiers. Phil Hartman. Not... Don't just start doing... Rest in peace, Phil Hartman. so bogus. You love Phil Hartman. <clears throat> X2, X-Men United. Unreal, how did we miss that? Wow. That is the best of them. It's the best of the original X-Men movies, without a doubt. Kind of have a soft spot for one. Cool. Two is a better movie. I mean, it, right, it, it's darker. It definitely checks off the boxes we talked about great sequels, right? I mean, it's a good sequel. I kind of like X-Men, though. Okay, Days of Futures Past, which is a sequel to First Class. Is great. But not as good as first class. I actually like first class too. You know that's the that's the hot take. Apparently people like Days of Futures Past better. Really? Yes. What about Jurassic Park Lost World? Stop it. What about Incredibles 2? Not as good. What about Deadpool 2? Better. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't what know about what movie, I really think of. What Deadpool. about movie franchises where neither the first or the second movie are the best in them? Thor Ragnarok coming to mind. Oh, okay. For so Harry for Potter like, were coming to mind. Well, Harry Potter, it's not like the third one's the best because it's a trilogy. It's like the third one's great. Um, yeah, we're not talking about thirds, I think. <laughs> Psycho 2. Yeah, no. What, what would be your dream sequel that they haven't done? Because they have done a Chinatown too. Yikes. <laughs> but that's exactly right. Chinatown I, is not a movie built for a sequel. I, I have a good sequel. Okay. Okay. I want yours first though. No. Come on. Think of one. Just gift for sharing. Just, a, just actively think of one. That's all I ask. Okay? Mm. Oh. Okay. Either Galaxy Quest 2 or... Kiss Kiss Bang Bang 2. I was thinking Kiss Kiss Bang Bang 2. I want to watch Gay Perry be like the like the boss. And... Well, you know what? It's the last time we really see Robert Downey Jr. as kind of like truly on the receiving end for roughly 50% of a, like, 
you know, he's the protagonist, but Gay Perry has, like, authority <laughs> over him and makes him feel like shit. And now after the Tony Starkism of Robert Downey Jr., like, I don't see him playing a role. Where, where his ego's not, not on top. Where exactly. His ego's not on, that's interesting. I'm sure there's a movie in between there, right? Where he's not. Maybe not, though. There is, Zodiac is the movie in between there. I guess so. Tropic Thunder is the movie in between there. No, no, no. Tropic Thunder, he's still... That doesn't... Yeah, it's over by then. No, but I love... You're right, yeah. Um, so that might be it. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang 2. Sounds good to me. That was mine. I said it. I was thinking, I was, I was about to think it. No, nah, I don't believe that for a second. You don't that's, believe a lot of things. That's bullshit. I'm not... I'm, come on, you need to, think, you need to okay. say one. Matrix reboot. No, you you want a reboot. I want a Matrix reboot. Remember the show reboot? Maybe they should reboot reboot. So check it out. From they Toonami. Are, they are rebooting they rebo- rebooted. Wait, what? Reboot has been rebooted and it's awful. Wait, hold on. Hold on. The reboot from the Toonami. Yeah, it's not Toonami, but it was... It was on Toonami? It was on WGN Kids. It was with Beast Wars. Hold on. Reboot was never on Toonami. No. I mean, maybe well. it was way later, but... <laughs> When it was first, or maybe in syndication. Who even knows what we're talking about? If 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 everyone who, who even knows what we're talking about? Who's even listening? Yes. Who if everyone <laughs> who ever lived listened? No one knows what reboot is. That's why. No, enough people know what reboot is. It got a reboot. It's bad. <laughs> I'll watch the trailer with you, and we can come back to this podcast. Just to date this podcast for a second, can we just talk about for just like one second? Did you watch any of those Comic Con trailers? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> Danny's googling reboot. The reboot, reboot. <laughs> okay, I want to. Here's the here's the intro to the original show. Okay. September seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. Unreal. Unreal. <laughs> Wait, I have to edit that. <laughs> I come from the net. Okay. Speaking of trailers, did you watch any of the Comic Con trailers? Yes. <clears throat> did you like one of them? I was not excited for. Sh- I'm not excited for Shazam. Oh, Shazam actually does look kind of cute. Okay, I'm not excited for Aquaman. No, I'm not. Ex- what about Glass? Not excited. That looks awful. Yeah. <laughs> I <right, we're> bet. <laughs> Wait to finish this one. Out. To finish this guy off. It's three twenty-five a.m. Um, let's finish this guy off. Let's fin- <laughs> stop that. <laughs> not at the table, Carlos. <laughs> Wait, hold on. You can't leave yet. It's still recording. Name a sequel you, you wish uh, wasn't made. <laughs> All right. It's been uh, Basket Sprawl, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, Harlan the Corgi. Follow Harlan the Corgi. Shine again, to you. Suddenly love so